Well, I've been doing a, um, a series called Why, and why, are, why do we do some of the things that we do in the church? Why are those things important that we do in the church and we practice in the church? Where do those come from? And so uh, last week we talked about God's Word and why it's reliable, why it's trustworthy, and why it's important for us to read that in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're going to be a true follower of Jesus and follow Him in every aspect of our life, then we need to be consistently on a daily basis reading God's Word. So today we're going to look at something else. Uh, is baptism. And uh, I was recently a part of a funeral for a, a good friend of mine. And uh, he has two uh, brothers. Um, he's in the middle. He has a younger brother and an older brother. But as I was getting ready for that funeral and talking to them, each of the brothers were going to speak a little bit. And I didn't know exactly what they were going to say because those memories are specific and special to them. But the younger brother, as he got up to talk about his dad, uh, he said one of his favorite memories was going to Israel a few years ago and actually being baptized in the Jordan River in Israel, just where John the Baptist was baptizing people uh, in that first century. And Jesus was actually baptized and, and so many others. But they actually went uh, to be baptized, and there's a place you can do that, and people will baptize you, but it was on the Sabbath, so guess what? They were closed. Um, but they just went ahead and went down there and baptized one another. They were believers, and he got to baptize his son, and his son baptized him. What a, what a great memory to remember, um, uh, being baptized in the Jordan River. So it was very special for that family. But as I thought about that, and maybe uh, some of y'all have done that or know somebody that has, but regardless of whether you were baptized in the Jordan River in Israel, those of us who have been baptized, it's a special day, wasn't it? It's very memorable. It's unique to us, wherever it was, whoever it was. I remember being 10 years old and, and going through that process and talking to our preacher at the time, who we called him Preacher Jim, Jim Dyer. And I remember being so nervous that day, getting ready, and I didn't understand all of it, but I knew that I wanted Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and I knew part of that was being baptized, and I was nervous, and it seemed like an eternity before I actually got to go in the water. But I remember Jim Dyer was this big guy, and he had these big hands, and I remember putting those hands on me and taking me under that water and bringing me back up. And then I remember all the people at our church they came up to me and go, oh, that's awesome, congratulations, you know, the most important decision you'll ever make. And man, that was special, I'll never forget it. And as I tell that story, I would imagine most of y'all remember your baptism. You remember that day, why you did it, who was a part of that, and what a, a meaningful experience it was. But I want to talk about that today, regardless of where it was, or, or when it was, or who was a part of that, it should be a lasting and special memories in our minds and our hearts, always. It was a point in our lives when we came to a decision to follow Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And part of that process or that initiation into God's kingdom or God's rule in our lives involves baptism. It's a meaningful process, even mystical. It's a beautiful picture of, of the action of us dying to our old way of life. Burying that old way of life and being resurrected to a new way of life that now is led by Christ and a new creation and the Holy Spirit now leads us. And so today I want to continue our series on why and look at a, another important practice that the church does and that's baptism. Why is it important? Why is it essential in being a follower of Christ? And it is essential in being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now most all Christian churches all over the world and throughout history, regardless if it's Catholic or Protestant or some denominational name or background, we have all agreed that the importance and the meaning of the sacrament or the ritual 
or the ceremony of Christian baptism is very sacred and important. Now, sometimes over the years we have um, argued over or discussed on why it should be this method or that method, or it should be at this age or that age, and we've talked about some of that, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But I think it's important to say this as I share today, that the earliest church practices that we read about in the New Testament should be our guide and our practices and our traditions in the church today. Now, why would I say that? Because that is the earliest and purest form of the church, isn't it? It came right after Jesus. Jesus established the church and says, I'm leaving, I'm going, and I'm commissioning you to go and continue this kingdom work, God's kingdom, into all the world. And it's yours now, but this is what I want you to do. And so he gives us what we understand as the Great Commission. So it's the earliest and purest form. And rather than modern churches sometimes today want to reinterpret, let cultural uh, thoughts and, and feelings reinterpret what was originally started by God and His church. And we don't need to do that. We need to stay pure to what it says in the New Testament. And that's why we are unashamedly a New Testament church and we practice and teach what we do today. And we read about that in the book of Acts. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what tells us the story, the gospel message of different uh, versions of Jesus' life, accounts of Jesus' life. And then right after that, we have what is called Acts of the Apostles. And one of the gospel writers, Luke, wrote what happened after Jesus ascended and as the disciples went out and started doing exactly what Jesus called them to do. And throughout history, we know that individuals and groups have done some horrifying things in the name of Jesus and in the name of His church, in order to manipulate people, in order to control people, maybe to gain political or social power in the world. And those things have no place in God's kingdom and absolutely go against the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today I want us to look at the New Testament and the early church, and it started on that day of Pentecost that we read about in Acts 2 and how we should view and practice baptism today in Christ's church. Um, we hear of baptism early in the New Testament through John's baptism. You remember John the Baptist. He was baptizing people um, by water baptism, by immersion. But it was a different baptism. It was a baptism that John said is of repentance and turning back to God. And so people would come out. And you remember the day that Jesus started his earthly ministry. He was about 30 years old. And he's walking towards John who is baptizing. And he comes to John to be baptized. And John's like, what in the world? The Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Why are you coming to me to be baptized? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, so that all righteousness will be fulfilled. Let's do this. Jesus was submitting to what his God called him to do. And it was a different baptism. Jesus was baptized by John, but it was for a different reason, to fulfill all righteousness. It was a picture of the start of Jesus' public ministry. This is when he was starting. He was 30. He had been a carpenter as long as we know up until this point, but now he was starting his public ministry. And it was a picture of that public ministry and another step in ushering in God's kingdom and his new covenant that he was going to start in the person of Jesus Christ. And that baptism started Jesus' earthly ministry. And I find it very interesting that at the end and the close of Jesus' earthly ministry, the last thing he said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven was about go. He gives them the great commission. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we do that here. We baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus in that earliest form told us to do. 
And remember, that was the, this is how you make disciples, is you go and you let them know the good news of Jesus Christ, and then in their conversion experience, they are to be baptized. Jesus said that. We didn't come up with that as the church. We are following Christ's commission and His command, and that's why we do that. And He says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So baptism was a specific part of discipleship that Jesus commanded and commissioned to be done in God's kingdom as His church moved forward. And shortly after that, in Acts 2, we read about how on the day of Pentecost, which was a big Jewish celebration where people would come from all over the world that were Jewish and come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles just like Jesus said it would. And Peter preached this sermon. This fisherman, this guy that was not a Pharisee, was not a Sadducee, didn't have that kind of training, but he had been around Jesus for three years. He preaches this amazing sermon that shared the good news of Jesus Christ to this huge group of Jewish people, and they listened to him. And we're going to read about that in Acts 2, and some of that will be on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, we're looking at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 26. I know we don't have all of it up there, but just kind of follow along. So as Peter's preaching, he says this, And he tells them that Jesus was crucified and rose again. But he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And he, get, he taught them other things. He said, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's amazing. So that was the beginning of the church right there. And so this is a different baptism, if you've noticed, from John's. It wasn't just for repentance. It was baptized into Christ Jesus, and you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ that now lives in you. You buried your old way of life. What's going to take that new way of life going forward? The Holy Spirit's going to be there to guide you. And so 3,000 people came forward that day. They heard the gospel message. They heard the good news of Christ. And they even heard they were responsible because of their sins, just as we are, for putting Jesus on that cross. And they said, convicted. We believe that. Now what do we do? And Peter said two things. Repent and be baptized. Repent is when I take the way I'm going, and this is the wrong way, and I completely turn and start going the other way. I'm going to leave that old way of life, I'm not going to figure out how I can still work that old way of life into my life as a disciple of Christ now. But I'm leaving that old life. I'm burying it. I'm putting it away. And I'm going this way. And I'm going to be baptized to symbolize burying that old way of life and resurrecting to a new way of life. Baptism is not what saves us. Please hear me saying that today. We do not believe in this church that baptism saves you, but it is a part of the process of becoming a follower of Jesus, and it represents all that does save us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By His death, we are forgiven of our sins. We are cleansed from that. Through His burial, we bury all that old. And when He resurrects from the days, He gives us... um, He gives us victory over death. And that is all Jesus' work. But when we are baptized, we are being a part of saying, I recognize all of that is what saves me, and I'm accepting that. It's part of being a disciple of Christ. So we notice that on that day, when the folks heard on the day of Pentecost, they heard and believed and wanted to know what they needed to do. Turn from their old way of life and be baptized. Baptism was 
And it still is an essential part of the conversion experience and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a symbolic ceremony in which we participate that shows, again, I'm dying to my old way of life. I'm burying that old life. It's no longer going to be a part of me. And I'm rising to a new life with Christ who now lives in me and leads me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, the church didn't come up with this. Southwest didn't. The Baptist church down the street, the Presbyterian, none of those churches came up with baptism. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. Jesus commissioned and commanded the earliest disciples to go and make disciples. And this is a part of the discipleship process. And in the writing of the Acts of the Apostles, we see that every conversion experience in the book of Acts is followed by what? Somebody getting baptized. So we know that's how they did it in the early days. It was the earliest, most purest form of the church and how that was being taught. So I'm going to just real quickly go through this. In Acts 2, what we just read about... Jews at Pentecost had this conversion experience. They wanted to become followers of Jesus, and they were baptized. In Acts 8, we hear that some Samaritans in Samaria, okay, this was Gentile people. These were the half-breeds, according to the Jews, and they didn't think they were worthy of salvation. But these people heard the gospel message, and they were baptized, immersed into Christ. In Acts 8, we read about another Person Simon, who was a Gentile, was baptized into Christ. In Acts 8, we also read about the Ethiopian. We always call him the eunuch, and I'm like, I'm sure he does not appreciate that through history. He was also the treasurer of the queen in Ethiopia. He was an important, but a lot of times go, the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, no, he was way more than that. He was the treasurer, and he's sitting in his, uh, uh, he's sitting in his chariot one day, and Philip is prompted by the Holy Spirit. There's a man sitting in his chariot reading the Bible. He doesn't know what he's reading. Go over there and talk to him. So Philip did, and Philip says, Do you understand what you're reading? And he goes, How can I unless somebody explains it? So from the Old Testament Scriptures, Philip lays out this was pointing to Jesus who has come, and he gives him the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and he believes that. And as they're riding along and continuing to talk, he sees water, and he says, There's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I want to be baptized. So we know from that, we don't know exactly how the conversation went, but we do know that ultimately Philip told him about being baptized into Jesus, and he wanted to, and they both went down that day, and he was baptized into Christ. So that's what we read about, Ethiopian treasure. And then Saul, who became Paul later, was baptized in Acts 9 after his conversion experience. In Acts 10, we hear about Cornelius and others in his family who were baptized into Christ Jesus. Lydia and members of her household were baptized into Christ. In Acts 16, the Philippian jailer, Paul, is in, in prison again, once again, you know, rattling cages everywhere he went, telling people about the good news of Christ. And the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself because the angels freed him. And he says, don't kill yourself. And he told him the gospel message. And that Philippian jailer and all of his family heard and were baptized into Christ. Again, these were um, Gentile people. And then in Acts 18, Crispus and other Corinthians in this new church were baptized. And in Acts 19, a new church is starting in Ephesus, and people are baptized into Christ. Now, I'm going to throw a chart up here if I could. And um, for you nerds like me, you'll go, oh, that's really cool. The rest of you are going, whatever. You know? But this is elements of the conversion in the book of Acts. And you've got 11 instances there. And you can see where there was teaching involved. People believing involved, confessing involved, repenting, and baptism involved. Some of those are implied, as you can see, and you can do more study on your own on this. But this is where we get our practice of baptism. In all 11, well, 10 of those 11 uh, instances 
baptism is absolutely mentioned in there. And so that's why it's so important. That's why we practice it today. And you notice that those people on the day of Pentecost didn't say, what must we think? What must we feel? They said, what must we do? And it was part of being baptized. That was something they did, and they did that. Um, And Paul went on after his conversion experience to practice baptism and teach baptism everywhere he went. In Romans chapter 6, I think we have that on the screen. This is an important baptism passage as well. That As Paul is teaching these Romans who were Gentiles. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. We too may live a new life. In 1 Corinthians, another church that Paul uh, helped start and continued to disciple these people, he says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. That unifies us. Baptism unifies us with people all over the world, other Christians. To the people in... uh, Galatia, Paul wrote this, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is, Listen to this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ. Baptism unites all of us regardless of our backgrounds. And, and to the church at, at Coloss, the Colossians there, he says, For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So it's a sign of washing our sins away, of dying again to our old self and being resurrected to a new way of life. And we will read later as we take communion together from 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, the new has come, the old is gone. They are a new creation in Christ. Now I want to go back and make sure we understand too, well, what about the form of baptism? Should we be immersed, dunked all the way under? Or should we just be sprinkled? Does it really matter? Well, Again, in the purest form of where the church started, we realize it was written in the Greek language. And there's only one word used, and it's baptizo. And that word in the Greek actually means to dip, submerge, underwater. Those folks in the early um, first century there knew also a root word of that term baptizo called bapto. And it was a term used in the first century for taking a garment, and you would immerse it into bleach and get it completely clean, and then you would immerse it into dye, cleansing and changing the color of the cloth. Lydia, who was baptized, she would understand this because she was a seller of different colored cloths, so she would understand this word, but that's what it was. But uh, it literally means to dip and submerge underwater, and that more clearly represents death, burial, and resurrection than just having been sprinkled, and that's why we practice that. There's only one word used for baptism in the New Testament, and it's baptizo, and it means to dip and submerge. So again, that's why we do that. Now, you may be going, so what are you saying? Are you saying that my grandmother or my grandfather who was sprinkled is not really a Christian, not really a believer? No, I'm not saying that. (laughs) 
Are you saying they're not really a Christian? No, I'm not saying that. Are you saying they're going to hell? I'm not saying that. And I've just said it on camera, so I didn't say that, all right? What I'm saying is, is with integrity to Scripture and the earliest Scripture we have from the purity of the earliest church, we at this church want to be honorable to that and practice what was done in the early church, and that's why we do it this way. Now, somewhere along the line, this sprinkling thing got started way after the first century, and we think it may have had something to do with somebody on a deathbed that could not be baptized in a lake or a river or in a baptism, whatever, and they sprinkled them, and, and, and I, I understand all that, but somehow it worked its way into the church, and that's how it got, but we want to press. When we built this church, we wanted to have a baptismal here, and it's not magic. It's not any kind of special water, but it is helps us to be symbolic of exactly what Jesus asked us to do when someone was becoming a new convert. And so that's why we practice that. It's a clear action and identification of one's personal faith in Christ. It's an act of submission and obedience. Think about that word submission. Jesus didn't have to submit himself that day to John, but he did. And I remember it is, it's an act of submission. And when you remember getting baptized, you're, you're submitting to someone, you're submitting to Christ first and foremost, but you're submitting to someone who's going to take you and you hope they're going to take you down and they're not going to hit your head and they're not going to drown you, but they're going to bring you back up. And I remember again, my preacher's big hands taking me down in that water and bringing me back up and looking me in the face and, you know, and hugging me and saying, wow, this is important. He not only preached this for years, but it's important, and now I'm being a part of that. And it felt like that was exactly what I was supposed to do. So that's why we do it. It's clear in Scripture. It's been practiced throughout the world since Jesus gave his commission. And all of the, the ritual ceremonies that can be done, think about how this one is done anywhere in the world because there's water just about anywhere in the world. Well, what about people who live in the desert? Well, still people in the desert have to have a source of water, right? And they can. Now, I've seen baptism zones in a lot of different ways, haven't y'all? I mean, I've, I've been blessed to be on some mission trips where uh, in Haiti, I was able to baptize a couple of people in the ocean, uh, was a part of some baptisms in India in a creek in a tea plantation. I've seen some amazing things in all of those. They're still very powerful, but those people are submerged and, and, and come up out of the water. So... Going back to another thing, well, what about the age? What about babies? What about infants? Well, in this church, we don't practice infant baptism. We don't baptize little babies. And Well, why don't you? Well, nowhere in the New Testament, in all those conversion experiences that we just listed that are in Acts, nowhere in there do we see anywhere where an infant or a baby was baptized. Now, some people say, well, it had to be somebody because it said Cornelius and his whole family, Lydia and her whole family. Surely there had to be a baby or an infant in that group that got baptized. Well, that's kind of a leap, isn't it? We don't know that for sure. And we know, does a baby understand what is being done to him? They don't understand that. They can't make a conscious decision about that. But I remember having uh, a Catholic background family come to me one time, and they just had twin babies, and they wanted to get them baptized immediately. And I said, well, we don't, we don't do that at our church. Oh, well, you know, we got to get I said, why do you feel like you have to get that done? Well, if, you know, if, we were, if they were to get killed, they would go to hell. And I was like. You really believe the God who sent his own son to die for you and all of humanity would take your babies and send them to hell because they didn't go through a, the baptism process. I said, I don't know who told you that, but that's a lie from hell. And I said, those babies, if they die, will be in heaven with their heavenly father. And when they're of age, absolutely they should be baptized. But don't believe that. And so I had to kind of walk them through that. 
And, and there's some of that that goes out there, but that's why we don't. Now, we do baby dedication here. When you have a baby and you want to dedicate your infant or your young child, we say we want to be a part of helping raise that child to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we're going to be a part of that. But when they come of age and understand. Now, at 10 years old, I didn't understand everything. I've been through seminary, and guess what, y'all? I don't understand the theological amazing awesomeness of what Jesus did for me. But I knew enough at 10 years old that I was a sinner, that I needed to repent, I needed to be sorry for that, and Jesus took that sin, and I wanted to be baptized, and I wanted to, Him to live inside my heart forever. And that's why I did it, and I felt good about it, although I didn't understand it completely. But I was old enough to understand that I was a sinner, and I needed the remedy for that, and that's why I decided to do it. But it's so personal, isn't it? It's something that each person should carefully consider when deciding to become a follower of Jesus. We don't take it lightly. We don't take it lightly um, at all, and we should not do it because someone else is doing it or somebody in our family and you know tried to get us to do it or say that's something we should do. It's something that through the thought process and the heart process of hearing the story of Jesus and knowing who we are and knowing that we've been born and ultimately we're going to die, where's all that going to lead? Why did God put me on this earth? And I think about how important that is. And I, I see Renee here today, and I don't want to embarrass, but, but Renee recently, y'all were here when she was baptized. And man, Renee took this so serious, y'all, and I respect that so much. It was not something that she went through lightly. She talked about how to do a little bit different background than us. And through reading the scripture and letting God speak to her heart and talking to other people, she came to that decision. It was a pure decision that was so important. So I appreciate that. And that's the way it be, should, should be for everybody. It's something we need to do with conviction. It's what I need to do. I want to submit to what Jesus has asked me to do. No one's making me do this. And I thought about over the years, you know, we all have our story of how we were baptized and why. My, my mom has a great story. My mom grew up in the Episcopal Church where they sprinkled her as an infant. And so then she married my dad, who was of a different denomination, and she talked with Jim Dyer, our preacher, and she finally came to the same conclusion, kind of like um, Renee, is that, you know, this is something I should do as an adult now. And she did, and the great thing about it, she was pregnant with me, so I've been double-dipped, you know? It's a great thing. Um, so everybody's got a great story about your baptism. I remember here in our campus ministries, they have some great stories about baptizing people at a hotel pool or at a lake when it's, you know, freezing cold on a retreat at, at Woodland Christian Camp or putting a tarp in a pickup truck and filling it up with water and baptizing some kids in the back of a pickup truck. Those kind of things are creative and it makes it memorable. But you have a story about your baptism, about your conversion experience, and that's important to tell and share with people your particular unique story of when and how and why you were baptized, and we need to tell that. And today I'm really excited because we have a young lady who's going to be baptized today. And she's got these great people who love her so much and have led her to this point in her life. And I like to believe also that our church has been a part. Our children's ministry is awesome. We're so thankful for them. Has been a part of leading Laura Kate to this decision. So we know that that's an important. But before we get into that, and, and uh, Miss Deanna is going to uh, have her come up in a little bit and take her confession. And there may be other people today that have been thinking about that. But I want to tell you, just like Renee, I am glad our ministers, anybody, Deanna, any of our uh, ministry team, any of our elders, any of y'all can talk with somebody else about baptism. Talk to somebody. Don't let it just be a fleeting thought. It's something that we should 